welcome to the Food Life Podcast. You are about to hear easy to prepare and fun to serve recipes plus cooking tips paired with real conversation about the issues we face every day. It's food and life. And now, here's your host, Donna Britt. Welcome to episode 12, which I'm calling Move That Mountain, Lessons from a Mustard Seed. In this episode, I will tell you the story of my good luck mustard seed that my grandmother gave me years ago, and the synchronicity of getting a birthday gift that uh, has a mustard seed connection, what the mustard seed has symbolized throughout history and time. We'll also talk about mustard seeds in cooking, particularly pickling, and I'll talk about a half-sour pickle recipe from a famous musical family. So we have a lot of territory to cover today. I hope you'll hang with me while we do it. Remember that if you uh, want to get the visual aspect of the podcast, we're at foodlifepod.com, and we have full recipes posted there, and you can access all 12 podcasts that we've done so far right there at foodlifepod.com. So let me start with the with the, the little mustard seed necklace charm. Years ago, I mean long, long time ago, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, I was a young girl, little girl, and my granny gave me a little mustard seed necklace, but it wasn't on a necklace, it, but it, you could tell that it was made to go on a necklace. So tiny little square clear box with a little gold rim around it and a tiny little mustard seed inside. She also gave me a little pin that was shaped like a bow that had a little uh, ball hanging down with a little mustard seed in the middle. And what I have found out is that mustard seed jewelry was first popular in the Victorian era, and then it made a big comeback in the 40s during World War II, which would make sense because my grandmother was a young mother herself in the 40s, and her husband, my grandpa, was at war. And so a lot of her jewelry, her costume jewelry and things like that were from that era. And then, okay, so here we make the synchronicity connection, which happens to me all the time. And I think that And I wanted to talk about this in particular because I think there's something to that synchronicity thing, that coincidence thing. Like for me, like, listen, I sound like I'm like I'm a teenager. But for me, it always makes me feel like, oh, I'm in the flow. I'm on the path when coincidences happen. So I had rediscovered my little mustard seed pendant and the little pin probably I don't know, two or three months ago, and I was thinking about turning it into a necklace and sending it to my niece. Then I was talking to my brother, and he goes, you know what, sis? He goes, I don't think anybody's going to appreciate it the way that you do because it came from your from granny, so why don't you just keep it? And it's interesting because this little tiny pendant with the mustard seed has moved with me across the country a couple or three or four times. It Somehow I've managed to never lose it, and it's tiny. And I found it in this small little jewelry box where I have little keepsakey things. And I was very impressed with myself that I still had it, number one. Number two, I've never worn it. And number three, I'd kind of forgotten what it was about other than my granny said it was good luck. It was good luck. So I got a birthday present from one of my dear friends, Shanda, who always gives me the best gifts. 
She's so tuned in that way. And she gave me this new Oprah book called The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose. And it's a collection of essays from all different kinds of people in all walks of life and and Oprah's essays as well. And it's very inspiring and I love it. Oh, somebody's trying to get a hold of me. I guess I should have turned my phone off, huh? Anyway, um, I picked up this book and I started reading it. And literally, I got to page 15 and I read, Growing up in the church, one of my favorite Bible parables was about the mustard seed. If you have faith, even if it's as little as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Anything is possible. That's what Oprah wrote. And oh my gosh, she's talking about a mustard seed. <laughs> I have my mustard seed. And I got super excited. And then I went and I, I looked it up. And it's yes, in Christianity, it symbolizes faith. And there's a whole Bible story about how this tiny little seed um, grows into a great shade providing plant. And it's very inspiring. And then I remembered, yes, I heard the story in church, too. And in secular areas, it just means good luck. So here I had this little mustard seed. I was inspired reading Oprah's story about the mustard seed. And I started doing a a little more research because I thought, okay, I'd like to talk about this in a podcast. But how does this relate to food? Can I relate this to food? And of course I can because it's a mustard seed and they're used in cooking. Another one of my favorite reference books is The Food Lover's Companion. It's uh, I have the fourth edition, so I've had it for a few years, by Sharon Tyler Herbst and Ron Herbst. This is an excellent excellent encyclopedia. It's an alphabetical order. Anything that has anything to do with food or the culinary world, um, it's in this little reference book. And it gives you great descriptions. It tells you what it is, etc. So I looked up mustard, which is mustard, mustard seed, powdered mustard. And I read how it's uh, any of several species of plant grown for its acrid seeds and leaves, which are called mustard greens, which is a big thing in the South. We eat a lot of mustard greens. The mustard plant belongs to the same family as broccoli, Brussels sprouts, collards, kale. And down through the centuries, it's been used for culinary as well as medicinal purposes. And then I read on about how there are two major types of mustard seed, white or yellow and brown or Asian. White mustard seeds are much larger than the brown variety, but a lot less pungent. And they're the main ingredient in American style mustards. And white and brown seeds are blended to make English mustard. And then it's brown mustard seeds that are used for pickling and as a seasoning. And you can buy whole mustard seeds and you can use them in your pickling. Anyway, there's a lot more about mustard in the Food Lover's Companion, but I think that's enough information on that. So that brings me to another inspiring story that I want to share and an awesome cookbook with an awesome recipe. It's all connected, I swear. Back in the fall of 2017, Tambi, my food photographer friend who does all of the lovely photos that you see online and on social media, etc., and I got a call kind of out of the blue from a publisher based back in Nashville, HarperCollins, a very famous publisher. And we had been referred to them 
uh, because they needed some editing help, some recipe testing, also some food photography and food styling. And we had worked on another cookbook together with uh, another publisher also based in Nashville. So they were kind of in this situation. They needed some help and uh, they called us up. And so Tambi and I went to work working on uh, editing and testing recipes, giving feedback on the manuscript and ultimately doing the food styling and food photography for the John Carter Cash project. John Carter Cash is the son of Johnny Cash and June Carter, and he was putting together the Cash and Carter family cookbook, Recipes and Recollections from Johnny and June's Table. He is their only child together. They both had children from other marriages, and he's the only son uh, among all of their children. And he was putting together this amazing, beautiful, wonderful cookbook sharing family recipes from his family and from his own kitchen. And we had the honor of being asked to work on it. And it was an incredible project of love and passion. We were called in kind of late because I think someone at the publishers had gotten sick or they were going to have a baby, something happened and somebody had to step away and they needed our help. So we were on a pretty short timeline. Basically, I had to review the manuscript, give feedback, test all the recipes and edit them in about six or eight weeks, over a hundred recipes. So that I went to work doing that right away. And then we had roughly a week. I don't even know if it was a full seven days, but let's just say a week that we had to go to Nashville, Hendersonville, actually, uh, to John Carter Cash's home and to the Cash family cabin, which is near his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is just north of Nashville. And we had about a week to photograph all of the recipes in the book. So what that meant was <laughs> uh, we found an Airbnb close to the estate, and every night we would cook and prep and prepare the recipes that were, we were going to take pictures of the next day, and we would transport everything to the Cash family cabin because that's where we were shooting the food. And we were getting to use, check this out, June Carter Cash's China. So we were using the family heirloom china and dishes to put all of these dishes on and take pictures. And we were getting to do it in the cabin, which Johnny had built in the late 70s as his getaway place on the family property. Ultimately, it became a recording studio, and it still is to this day. And it's a very, very special place, still in the woods, a little creek nearby. It's um, It was just amazing to get to be in this cabin and if you if you if you go on Amazon or go on my website or whatever and just check out the cookbook it's beautiful the cover photo you'll see John Carter sitting on the porch of the cash cabin a lot of our photographs were taken on the porch others were taken inside so to be able to go to this historic place it's like a museum we were honored to get to see some of the collection of things that they have there in the vault you know, instruments and um, um, recordings from um, years past. I mean, everyone has recorded in this studio. Anyway, very special place, very special experience. But what we were having to do is take pictures of, oh, I don't know, 20 or so dishes 
in a day. And that meant that the night before, everything had to be prepared. So I actually went about 10 days before our week and did as much cooking and recruited my family (laughs) to help me. Things that I could do in advance. So things that I could bake and freeze, et cetera, et cetera. But every night there was still a lot of fresh cooking happening at the Airbnb. And then we would transport all of those things, plate them, style them, photograph them. I think our record one day was a couple of dozen. So 24 different dishes, taking pictures that have to be perfect enough (laughs) to be in a cookbook. And it was me and Tambi, and we had a couple of helpers who were incredible, and we couldn't have done it without them. Plus, the staff there at the recording studio bent over backwards to help us get and do and find whatever we needed. So the point of the story is, if you Ask a food photographer and food stylist who who work on cookbooks, and you said, how many shots do you usually do in a day? Um, It's going to be a lot less than 24, probably more like five to eight, (laughs) maybe 12, but not 24. And we did it. We did it. And I remember when we were in the middle doing it, we were feeling such great energy, and not to get too woo-woo, but we literally, this studio is full of pictures of Johnny and June and other famous people, and there's a stained glass of Mother Maybell Carter, June's mother. We felt like they were watching over us. So we felt very blessed, and we felt very elevated. So after we would shoot all day long, We would get back to the Airbnb, we'd have a little break, and then we would start cooking. Somehow we had all of this energy, which just didn't really make sense. We should have been exhausted. We should have felt overwhelmed, which we did a little bit. And it was literally an almost physically impossible task. If someone had said, you're going to have to do da-da-da-da-da, can you do it? And you would think, wow, I don't know. I don't know about that. Plenty of naysayers, trust me, (laughs) before I got there, I had plenty of people saying, how are you guys going to possibly do this? And I said, I don't know. We are going to do it, though. And we just had faith, even though it was little like a mustard seed, we had faith that we could do it. So every night we would come back to the Airbnb, we would cook and laugh and do whatever we needed to do. And we did it. And it felt so great. It was like we were in this flow and we were vibrating at a different level, so to speak. Maybe it's sort of like being in a being an, an athlete and being a pitcher and you get to the ninth inning and you, you've got a no-hitter going <laughs> and you feel like you're you're transcending place and time in a way. And that's how we felt. And it was and we were silly about it and we were laughing and we did it. We got finished. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing, I think there was only one dish that we ended up having to reshoot later. One out of over a hundred. So that made me feel especially great because we were moving so fast, it would have been easy to be sloppy or make mistakes. But I think because of that combined positive energy and that combined faith that we could do it, we were going to do it, and we were going to do our best, and our best was going to be good enough, we pulled it off. 
And it was fantastic. And the book is out, and it's beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, the stories are fantastic, too. John shares so many family stories. He also shares a lot of candid family photos from just his whole life growing up with his mom and dad and even earlier photos before he was born. And it's special. The book is special for that reason, even if you don't cook anything in it. So there we were having our faith. We pulled it off. It was unbelievable. And so it just makes sense that I share a recipe from this book (laughs) because guess what? There's one that uses mustard seeds. And it's Maybell Carter's Home Canned Half Sour Pickles. Again, in case you are not familiar with that family, Maybell Carter was June Carter's mother. And her family, the Carter family, were the pioneers of country music, really. Um, they did some of the very first recordings back in the 20s. And their story is incredible. In case you don't know it, look it up. So the story that John Carter tells is about his grandmother, Mother Maybell Carter and how when she first visited New York City in the 30s while recording music with the Carter family, she went to a place called Ben's Kosher Deli. She got a pastrami sandwich with mustard on rye bread, and she had a pickle with that sandwich. And it was her first taste of a half-sour pickle. She called them city pickles. She loved them. They were amazing because there are two common varieties of pickles here in America, the kosher dill and the half sour. Kosher pickles are fermented in a brine for a long period, while the half sour pickles are fermented for a shorter amount of time. And that leaves the cucumber crisp and tasty and you put them in your refrigerator and it's a it's a very crisp, crunchy pickle. So Mother Maybell went back home. And she grew up in a place called Mesa Spring, Virginia. She had a huge garden. She grew Kirby cucumbers, which are great cucumbers for pickling. And she had wild muscadine vines, which is a native grape in the south. And she used that to cover them when they were fermenting. So she had all of the ingredients right there, and they were fresh. So these city pickles, I'm just going to read the ingredients because it's such It's really simple. It's really about the process. The process isn't that hard. If you've never done it before, you may feel a little bit intimidated. But I guarantee you, if you try it, you'll realize that it's not that hard and you end up with something really super special. So you just use whole Kirby cucumbers and you put them in a big jar. And then you're going to use kosher salt, water, spring water, water without chlorine is the big thing. Fresh dill, garlic, coriander coriander seeds, rather, mustard seeds, black peppercorns, and then the muscadine leaves or strawberry leaves that you cover them and pack them down. Um, The other thing that you'll read about when you read this recipe online is about fermentation weights, which you put on top of the cucumbers to keep them submerged in the brine. And they're going to be submerged in that brine for just about four or five days. And then you put them in your refrigerator and they'll last for months in the fridge. But fermentation weights are heavy. They're thick pieces pieces of glass, usually round, and they fit in the top of a mason jar because typically that's what you're going to be using when you're making pickles is a big quart mason, mason jar. And you know what that is, you know, jars that people can in, you know, you can still get those everywhere with the metal ring lids, etc. So for the full recipe on the Mother Maybell's Half Sour Pickles, you need to go to foodlifepod.com. And I'm telling you, just try it one time. Just try to make 
a pickle because it's really, you're just making a saltwater brine. You're just sticking the cucumbers down in that brine and then you're letting it sit and do its thing, that fermentation thing, (laughs) which is like magic. And you end up with something wonderful and crunchy and delicious and something that you made yourself. And as you're looking in that jar and seeing all the the little seeds float around, see the mustard seeds, you can think about how if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can do anything you want in this life. So I started thinking about it. How do you build faith for yourself? How can you create a situation where you can start saying, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I really want to do this. This is really important to me. I've always wanted to do this. Maybe it's a dream that you've never worked on, whatever it is. And you just are so used to thinking like, well, I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time and everybody around you is naysaying. How do you build faith inside yourself so that you can blow right past all that stuff and do it anyway? So I made a list of what works for me. And I'm just saying you might want to try it. Now, I'll warn you, a lot of people who know and love me call me Pollyanna because they think that I'm a little bit unrealistic and I'm kind of full of it sometimes with all this positivity and I might not always be so practical. But it's worked for me. I've gotten this far in life and there have been hard times and difficult things, but I've also gotten to make some dreams come true. So I know it works and I'm not a millionaire or anything like that. And as Oprah says, you become what you believe. That's another thing I read in that new book of hers. You become what you believe. So I've always just believed when I really wanted to do something, I just believed I could do it. Even if the odds were against me, I believed that Tambi and I could prepare and photograph 24 different separate dishes in a day, and we did. Everyone was going like, what? No, that's too much. You can't do that. But we did because we believed that we could do it. All right, so here's a short list of learning how to have faith in yourself. First of all, you have to push past the discomfort. You have to get out of your comfort zone. Was it comfortable for me to cook and prepare and then then um, transport and try to plate and make 24 different Southern dishes look beautiful? So that includes things like fried chicken and, you know, things that are complicated or a little more complicated to make. It wasn't just a potato salad that I could do in advance. There was some of that, but that wasn't everything. So I had to get out of my comfort zone. And then the big one, be okay. And be okay with putting yourself out there, even if people may not accept it. Be okay anyway. Be okay with not knowing what's going to happen. So what if we had not been able to shoot all 100 plus dishes in that week's time? We did have a plan B. We, we prioritized and we thought about the dishes that we knew we wanted to shoot at the cabin. And then I had a list of, okay, if we run out of time, and, and the reason that we only had a week is because they could only free up their recording studio for so many days for us to take it over and shoot pictures of food because it's a working studio. So I did make sure that we... We prioritized. So we had a list of dishes that we could shoot elsewhere if we have to. And there were a few that we ended up, um, just just like three that we shot later at the Airbnb in the extra days. It's okay to have a plan B, but it's, it's okay to not know if you're going to have to go to plan B or not. <laughs> be okay with that. And be okay 
with failure. And I think it's about reframing the failure thing. Everybody I know, we get obsessed with not making mistakes and with perfection. Well, I don't think perfection should even be a word in our language because it's impossible to be perfect and to have perfection all the time, maybe even ever. So maybe reframe failure to an opportunity to learn. Oh, that didn't work so great. You know, all of the recipes in the cookbook, I prepared them at least three times just to make sure that the recipe was solid and easy to understand. And trust me, sometimes I, I, I ended up with two or three different results and I would have to go, what is happening? Or sometimes I just screwed it up. But then I learned, oh, I need to wait before I put the flour in or whatever it is. And when you learn that way, you're more likely to remember it. You know what I mean? Be okay. Be okay with failure. Be okay with not knowing what's going to happen. And be okay with putting yourself out there, out of your comfort zone. And that really is about learning to trust yourself. In my gut, I knew I could do it. And I trusted that. Maybe nobody else trusted me, but I trusted myself. And that was really all that mattered. And I've also learned that it's important to surround yourself with people who support you. And that means they may inside think she's out of her mind. How she's how is she going to do that? But they don't say it out loud. They just cheer you on versus somebody sitting there going like, you're crazy. N- no way. Negative, negative, negative. So, you know, double check that. Look around, see who's in your circle. And if somebody's constantly naysaying you, maybe just don't share your big idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then finally, another little checklist uh, of how to move mountains. And maybe you just want to move a hill. It doesn't have to be a big old giant mountain, but you got to believe it's possible. You have to see it, visualize it, act as if it's already happened, and then just take action. And action can be one little step a day or one little half a step, but just movement, just movement. Uh, Sometimes we get frozen. I get frozen. We all get frozen. Fear is what freezes us. Just take a step. You know, just take a little step. It's just like if you're trying to get back in shape or work out or lose weight or whatever, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you go to the gym and maybe you just, you know, go on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then you just add and work up to it. But just take a step. Take a step. I now am wearing my mustard seed around my neck. I got a little chain. I put my mustard seed on there. So for the first time since my granny gave it to me all those years ago, I'm wearing the mustard seed to remind me (laughs) that um, if I keep the faith, even if it's little, I can can do whatever I dream. I can move toward it and I can go for it. And I don't have to let anything or anybody stop me. (laughs) And while I've lived a lot of my life that way, um, I just want to make sure I keep living it that way. So The mustard seed necklace is reminding me of that. Thanks for listening. And I do hope you try to do some pickling. And I'll have links, etc. to the books that I've talked about today and the recipe and all of that online, as usual, at foodlifepod.com. Oh, and before I go... I've been getting feedback, which is wonderful, and I just want to uh, thank you for feeding back to me, which you can do on Instagram or Facebook or, uh, you know, online at the website or whatever, and I've gotten ideas. People are really liking interviews, so next week, (laughs) I have another interview coming up, and I'm super excited. Stephanie is her first name. She's going to tell her incredible story of overcoming something really big and scary in her life and how it motivated her and inspired her 
to make some incredible changes. And she is going to share some of her bowl recipes. Very, very healthy food and very, very delicious. So thank you, thank you, and I will talk to you again soon.